Are you ready to overcome the complexities and burdens that come with your success? Join the team at Centura Wealth Advisory in the Live Life Liberated podcast. Now, on to the show. Hello, and welcome to Live Life Liberated with the team from Centura Wealth Advisory. Derek Myron, again, has brought a fantastic guest onto the show. Derek, good morning. How are you? I'm well. Good morning, Eric. Fantastic. Now, your guest is Siddharth Choker, and he's the managing partner at Choker Law Group PC. Is that correct? That is correct. Welcome, Siddharth. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate being here. You bet. And Siddharth, thank you so much for being on the show. Uh, I'm, I'm just going to hand this straight over to Derek. He's, he's going to run the show. I'm just here to learn, so I'm looking forward to this. Thank you, Eric. Welcome, Siddharth. Thank you for taking time out of your very busy schedule to be with us this morning. No, honestly, it's absolutely a pleasure to be here because the reality is, while I find this area fascinating, I'm thrilled to hear that your guests and your listeners find it fascinating because the reality is, whenever my wife can't sleep, she'll ask me about my day. So this is wonderful (laughs) for me. Oh, great. Well, thank you for spending your valuable time with us. Love for you to tell us a bit about you and your background and your law firm. Sure, happy to. Well, I uh, grew up in Georgia, which is really funny given my name, but I did in Columbus, Georgia, about 100 miles south of Atlanta. I went to college in Boston, did my MBA in finance and international business down at Rollins in Florida, went to law school in Chicago and also did a certificate in international law there, went across the pond to King's College in London, where I met my future wife, who's from San Diego, which is what eventually brought me out here. And I've got a postdoctoral degree or an LLM in tax from USD. I'm also a certified specialist in estate planning, trust, and probate by the California Bar. After that, they said there's really nothing more you could do. You have to start working and get a job. So there we are. I started my firm here in San Diego in 2008. And the only thing I or any of my other attorneys and my entire staff do is asset protection and estate planning. We don't touch any other part of the law. So what led you to that? You uh, got all of these different degrees in in tax and in law. What led you to this portion of the law? Well, when I finished all of my degrees in education, I actually wound up going to Silicon Valley, and I worked for Deloitte Tax up there, structuring multinationals. Many of the multinationals that you know and you hear about and you see on the internet, all the the Silicon Valley-based companies. And I actually got headhunted out of that into ultra-high net worth estate planning, which was being done primarily offshore with international asset protection and tax. And my background was already international tax and treaty analysis. So it wasn't a big change to go from structuring very large companies to structuring very wealthy people. And then in the early 2000s, the law started to change where we could do a lot more of that asset protection domestically without having to go to the Cook Islands or Nivas or Isle of Man, all the places that you might have heard about. And so I became the expert in that area of the law and then started the practice here in San Diego because we were going to start a family and it's awfully nice to have a set of grandparents around if you're lucky enough. And my wife and I balanced San Diego, California or Columbus, Georgia. It took us months of deliberation, at least that's what I told my parents, and we wound up here in San Diego. Tough choice. I'm sure your parents come out to visit often. 
absolutely. I see my mother at least three or four weeks a year at this point. Oh, fantastic. Yeah, asset protection for the clients, the ultra high net worth clients that we serve is very high on the list of what's important to them, especially when we've met somebody new. They've said, listen, I've got this business or I've managed to save and invest these assets. And asset protection is first, second or third for most uh, clients that we meet. What kinds of things do you do to help clients with asset protection? There are, we have to define that term more singularly because there are different types of asset protection. Now, many, many attorneys and law firms out there will claim that they do asset protection, put that on their websites, on their business cards, and that's perfectly fine, but you have to be specific what you're talking about because most of the time, what they're talking about is something called segregation of risk. So let's say, for example, one of your clients has two rental properties. Well, you'd probably want to put both those rental properties into an LLC, something to separate the two and separate the risk so that, let's say, something happened in one of those rental properties and someone winds up suing, all they could get is what's inside that LLC. And so if there was just one building in the LLC and a bank account associated with it, that's all they could get. Now, if they had both buildings in that same LLC, well, there's less segregation of risk. Both buildings are available to a creditor. Worse yet would be that they don't have an LLC at all. Now, they could get both those buildings plus all the client's personal assets. So that's segregation of risk. That's what most people refer to as asset protection. True asset protection needs to be domestic or international. And we can go through those in just a moment when you're ready. Fire away. Oh, all right then. Well, domestic asset protection um, really is done in, well, there's 16 states that now have some sort of asset protection law. California is not one of them. So in California, you cannot create, and now I'm going to use a legal term, a self-settled asset protection trust. What that means is that you can't create a trust for yourself, hence self-settled, where you put your assets into it and it protects against someone who sues you, a judgment creditor. However, out of those other states that I was talking about, 14 have pretty good law and three have extremely good law. And what those states allow is for you to create a trust in that state, fund it with your assets now, And then if anyone ever sues you in the future, and I really don't care what the reason is, they cannot get the assets in that trust. Wow. In order to do that, you have to move to that state. And every time I say that to one of my clients, they say, no, I am not moving to Alaska. I am not moving to South Dakota or Wyoming. One time, a client actually did, which I found extraordinary. But... There are other ways to create that nexus. Another way would be to use a trustee from that state. Now, most of my clients hate the idea of using a trustee they've never met. Why I said there were three states with really good law? Because there are three states which allow you to create a private trust company. Now, this is a C-corp that we actually create for the client It's designed never to have any money in it. So while it does file a tax return, it doesn't have, it's a zeroed out tax return. And it's located in that state. But the president of that, effectively your trustee, 
just anywhere you want. So now it's your CPA here in San Diego or whomever else you choose. As long as they're not closely related to the client or subordinate, someone who works for them, we can use anyone. So we've created that nexus to the other state so we could use their law. And I know that sounds a little bit odd, but just tell me this, Derek. Where is every major corporation in the United States incorporated? Yeah, most are incorporated in Delaware. Exactly. Why? Because they have the best law. Yeah, so could we just add a little context to this? You're saying that there are three states that have the very best law. And how long has that been the case? At least a decade, if not a little bit more than that. Okay. South Dakota, Nevada, and Wyoming are the three states that allow us to create that private trust company. Personally, I think Nevada and South Dakota's law is not nearly as good as Wyoming. And one of the reasons for that, they're, they're all good law, but Wyoming's is simply better. And one of the reasons is that in putting together an asset protection trust, there's something about when you put your assets in, and when someone could claim that, no, you shouldn't have put your assets in. It's called a fraudulent conveyance or voidable transaction. And you could say that, no, you shouldn't have put your assets in because you already owed me money or something along those lines. Well, in South Dakota and Nevada, the statute of limitations or the period of time one could bring that claim is two years. In Wyoming and every one of the other states, it's four years. Now, you would think, well, a shorter statute is better. Well, yes and no. The no is because people who maybe are pushing the envelope would rush to one of those states. And it's not my job or, frankly, your job or any of our service providers' jobs to make our clients famous. If they want to be famous, that's on their own. We <laughs> want to keep them safe and have no one pay attention to them. The law has really been developed over the last 10 years, and how many estate planning practitioners do you really see practicing this kind of domestic asset protection? A number will say they do, but very few truly do at that level. Most of the time when you see someone putting that on their website, pay attention to who all is connected to that asset protection. And you'll find that there's probably three organizations in the country where people are co-counseling with them. And they're basically shops where... Um, they're just churning these trusts out. Uh, there's a group out of Colorado, another one in Nevada, and it's not really customized for the clients, and it might not actually provide what exactly the, that individual client needs. It's a very complex area of the law, and it needs to be treated as such. So in the last 10 years in setting up these trusts, uh, domestic asset protection, have there been a number of court cases? Is there a lot of uh, uh, legal cases that have shown that they've stood up to uh, the scrutiny? Well, I will tell you this. There are 20 million lawsuits filed last year in the United States. That's an oh extraordinary gosh. number. I mean, if you break it down, it's ridiculous. Um, out of that, and the 20 million that was filed the year before, and the 20 million that was filed the year before, and the 19 million that was filed before, um, out of all the cases in United States history, a total of six haven't functioned exactly the way they were intended when you had a properly structured and funded asset production plan. 
Now, those six, three had to do with bankruptcy, where the person actually set up the trust knowing that they were going to be filing for bankruptcy. Obviously, you can't do that because that's a past creditor, just like I said before. Asset protection protects you against future creditors. The other three have to do with fraudulent conveyance. I already owed you a million dollars, Derek, and I set it up so I wouldn't have to pay you. But out of mm-hmm. all of those millions and millions of cases, those are the only six that didn't function the way they were intended. And I will tell you, there's not a single case where someone set these up correctly and it was violated or opened up to that judgment creditor. So that's a pretty good track record, if you ask me. That's fabulous. Yeah, you can see why clients would be highly motivated to seek this kind of asset protection. And I was just doing the math. 20 million as the numerator, 330 million as a denominator, with as the number of people in U.S. citizens. 6% of us get sued every year. That's incredulous. Well, remember who those 6% are. They're not the people who take care of your house. They're not the people who take care of your office. They're the people who own the building. So the deep pockets, those are the ones who are going to get sued. The people who own the companies, the people who are the engines of this country, they're the ones who get sued. So what is the biggest uh, drawback or the biggest hurdles that you find in presenting this asset protection to clients? What are some of the biggest hurdles that uh, cause them pause to decide to move forward with this or not? Well, obviously, there's the cost to set it up, which can be significant. I mean, this is not a simple structure to put in place. That coupled with the fact when they sit, when they start to hear about it, they say, well, it's going to be very complex. Why don't I just buy a little bit more insurance to cover myself? Um, how am I going to maintain it? I will tell you, it's extremely simple to maintain. In fact, in Wyoming, if we have a California resident using Wyoming Trust, the cost of maintenance of a structure like this is probably less than $1,500 a year. It's extremely oh cheap, and it's not complicated. Once you put it together, that part is complex, but don't worry, we handle the complex part. Maintaining it and moving forward with it is extremely simple. And it's just like when anyone learns something new, something new is difficult and scary. It really isn't. When you take the time to actually understand it and see how everything functions together and then do that cost-benefit analysis, it really becomes a no-brainer. Wow. Yeah, I've seen that firsthand. Um, Siddharth, how many clients do you estimate that you have put together this type of asset protection for? Oh, I'd easily say in hundreds. In the hundreds? There's, okay. there's no... Oh, easily. Easily. If, if not higher. Because again, since 2008, this is all I've been doing here. And prior to that, I was doing it in Orange County since 2004. So the vast majority of my clients are putting asset protection functionality into their trusts. If you want to go into the thousands, though, let's just talk about a basic California trust. We put asset protection functionality into that also. 
What I mean by that, though, is we're not protecting our clients themselves, the people who create that trust. We're protecting their children. Now, out of all the trusts, I know you've read hundreds and hundreds of trusts to you, Derek. The vast majority of them say something like this. At 25, my children are entitled to a third of the assets. At 30, they get half. And at 35, they get the rest. You've heard that. You've read that so many times, right? Correct. The idea behind that is that, well, you know, if the kid's not smart enough to hold on to their money or they invest badly, whatever the case might be, well, they know they're getting another tranche of money when they turn 30. The idea is to make sure that they're taken care of. I'm not going to tell you that that's just a bad way to do something, to do this type of trust. I'm telling you it's flat wrong. And the reason goes back to what we were talking about a few minutes ago. I said California doesn't let you create self-settled asset protection trusts. Self-settled. If, however, you settle the trust for your children, then you can protect it. So let's take an example, and I'll use my son. He's 11 now, but let's say it's seven years from now, and he's 18. And he's driving down the road, eating a burrito and texting, uh, all the things I tell him not to do. And he gets into a car accident. And clearly, it's his fault. Someone sues him. Well, maybe at 18, our kids have a few thousand dollars to their name, hopefully, right? But Correct. then the person who sues him goes and asks, well, do you have a trust for your benefit? Well, yes, my father was actually a trust attorney, and he did quite well, and he left me a trust. They say, perfect. Let's go to that trustee of that trust. And they go to the trustee, and they say, hey, hand over the money. Well, the trustee says, no, I can't, because it's for his health, education, maintenance, and sport, the ascertainable standard, which I know you've read in every single one of the trusts that you've ever read before, because that's standard language. Well, wonderful. But is he ever supposed to get an outright distribution? Well, yes. At 25, he gets a third of the assets. They say, perfect. We'll wait. Excuse me? No, we're just going to wait until he turns 25. And while we're waiting, we're going to collect 10% interest. Now, I know you're extremely good at what you do. But when's the last time you had an investment that paid 10% interest year after year, Derek? Right? Straight. Yeah, straight line. Yeah, that's going to turn out to be a big number. It would be beautiful. Yes, exactly. Well, they collect 10% interest until he turns 25. And then the third that was supposed to go to him winds up going to that judgment creditor, which is the next result. And then let's take it a step further. If it's not enough to satisfy the judgment, they'll just wait till he's 30. Again, collecting 10% interest. And then 35, they took away all the rest. Now, why would we ever draft a trust like that? Instead of that, if we had just kept all the assets in trust, in perpetuity for him, now they could never be taken away. And at least all the assets I left him would be for his benefit. So if he needed to live in a house, the trust can buy the house and hold it for him, and the people who sued him can't take it away. So if you put that in, I would say thousands and thousands of clients That's have incredible. this asset protection functionality. 
So in, in that example, the only money you'd be taking out of that trust is for that ascertainable standard for his care, for the money he was going to consume on his lifestyle, and all other assets would remain inside that trust. That's a possibility, but the more likely is that just the trust will take care of his living expenses. So he could send his credit card bills, for example, to the trustee, and the trust mm. would pay them directly. And this is a, just another way to make sure that the people who, the judgment creditors, could not collect on the judgment. And so the idea really isn't about making our clients bulletproof. I don't like to say that, and I won't say that because I am an attorney. <laughs> But it's about putting our clients in a much, much better negotiating position, taking away the threat of outrageous litigation. That's what yeah. asset protection should really be about. Very, very fascinating. I know it's a big topic to clients, very, very concerned about this, and, and they ought to be with 20 million lawsuits being filed every year. Let me pivot a little bit and talk about estate planning. I know that you're extremely busy with doing estate planning based on there was a, a, a couple different laws that have been passed over the last couple of years. The first was December 22nd, mm -hmm. 2017. That was the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act that, get, that doubled the estate planning uh, deductions for everybody. Today, your exemption is up over $11 million. And then this last December, there was the SECURE Act that passed that removed stretch IRA provisions. When somebody has a retirement account, uh, they can pass it to their spouse, but on this, the husband and wife's passing, 100% of those assets have to be taken out in 10 years. There's an election coming November 3rd. And absolutely, things could change. Currently, the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act is going to expire as of January 1st, 2026. And if the Democrats win the presidency and the Senate, we could have a whole different tax regime starting potentially January 1st, 2021. Yeah, because they'll probably, if they get it passed in the second quarter 2021, they'll probably retro it back to January 1st, 2021. What are you telling your clients right now regarding all of that? This is a huge topic and unbelievably important. So let's, let's break it down into the big picture first. When the 2017 Tax Act came into existence, what they wanted to do was make the corporate tax rate 20%. And they wanted to lower all other taxes for individuals. Now, there was something in place called the Byrd Rule, which meant that over 10 years, the cost of a tax cut could not in this case, exceed $1.5 trillion. That was the limit to the, how much the Tax Act could entail. Now, that being said, when they did the math, they realized, no, we can't give them 20%. It has to be 21%. And then they went further and they looked on the individual side. And they said, oh, no, we have a problem. Because I may not be good at a great many things, Tarek, but I'm very good at math. And what was discovered was that if they extended the individual tax cuts, you know, the tax cuts for all of us, for just two more years, so 2026 and 2027, that would add $1 trillion to the cost of the bill, which again, I said was limited to $1.5 trillion. 
So that's why they were designed to cut in January 1st of 2026. Now, what's really frightening is I know the world's a very tumultuous place right now, and we need to do absolutely everything that we can do to help one another. One of the things that we've done is that our government has spent a huge amount of money, you know, two and a half trillion dollars, if not three trillion dollars this year, trying to support its citizens, which is exactly what it should be doing. But the government's going to want its money back. And who are the easiest people to get the money back from? Well, wealthy people, because they have the money, and better yet, wealthy people who've passed away, because they argue not as much as someone who's still alive. And they don't that's vote. exactly what's going to happen. They don't vote. You're, you're absolutely right. They don't <laughs> vote. And if they try to extend those, they're giving a tax break to millionaires and multimillionaires. And that just doesn't make good commercials. And so currently, the exemption amount is $11.58 million per person. That means that when someone's alive with the gift tax, they could give away 11.58. Or when they pass away with the estate tax or the death tax, they could give away 11.58. Or some combination of the two which means that if I gave away $5 million now, I have $5 million less to give away when I pass away. Now, that's what it is today. So that's $23.16 million for a married couple. That's a huge number. For every dollar someone has above that exemption amount, it gets taxed at 40%. 40. So 40 cents on the dollar goes straight to the government. Well, in the year 2026, that number goes back to the original number index for inflation, which was at $5 million. So you're looking at roughly $6 million someone will be able to give away at that point. So for every dollar someone has above $6 million, it's going to get taxed at 40%. Now, if you look at Vice President Biden's proposals, they're draconian. Um, actually, the entire Democratic field was this way, some much worse than others. But really, you're averaging about $3.5 million. And for every dollar someone has above $3.5 million, they would tax them at 40%. Now, just think about someone who bought a house here in San Diego, and it was a small house, but relatively close to the ocean with two, three miles of it. And they've lived there for 30 years. Well, that can pretty much wipe out their entire exemption for their life. And then what's the family supposed to do? Another thing that I was really concerned about and obviously, I'm not getting into a political debate here. I'm just talking tax policy. But one of the policy issues that I really dislike from Vice President Biden is he is proposing getting rid of a step up in basis. Correct. So let me explain what that means. Let's say I had bought my house for a million dollars many years ago, and now it's worth $2 million. Well, if I sold that house today, I have a million dollars in capital gains, right? Because my basis was a million and I sold it for two million. Unless you're 121 exemption, right? Well, yes. For a personal residence, you could get up to $500,000 per married couple. Okay, let's, let's say it was an office building instead. So it's not a personal residence. Okay. So I bought the office building for a million. 
and I sell it for $2 million, I have a $1 million in capital gains. There are no exemptions. If I gift that office building to my son, and then he turns around the next day and sells it, he's got that same $1 million in capital gains because he gets a gifted basis. Now, what was a nice gift in California is that when either spouse passes away, you get a full step-up in basis. So let's say I passed away today, my son inherits the house today, and tomorrow he sells it, there's no capital gain because the basis goes to the fair market level, so he gets a basis of $2 million. Now, that's a very good thing because it doesn't force people to have to pay more in taxes than they need to. Now, Vice President Biden has said, no, we should get rid of that. So think about all those families who are going to be inheriting stocks that they've held for a very long time or real estate. And as soon as they sell it, they're getting hit with a large capital gain. And that just isn't necessary. My entire mission is to pay as little as in taxes as is legally obligated and not one penny more. Absolutely. What are you telling your clients with the the let the uh, political risk of the landscape really changing for next year, the tax landscape, what are you telling your clients to do this year? Do the planning now. I cannot emphasize that enough because last year the treasury came out and they actually told us if you make large gifts now, when the exemption amount is lower, we will not claw it back. So think about that. If someone makes a gift now and they use up their full $11.58 million and then the exemption amount is $6 million when they pass away, it doesn't matter because we get grandfathered in. They went further and this was just a gift from the tax gods and gave us a revenue ruling to that effect. And I've got to tell you, the government does not like putting out revenue rulings because revenue rulings only work in favor of the taxpayer and not the IRS. It works against the IRS. But they said, if you make a large gift now, you don't have to claw it back when the exemption amount is uh, lower and you are grandfathered in. And when I'm talking about making these gifts, um, let's, let's go into that a little bit. Because most planners will say, we'll do something like an intentionally defective grantor trust. It's a horrible name, by the way. I I realize it's a horrible name, but it's a beautiful result. What it means is that for income tax planning and capital gains, it's still the client. So everything just flows through to their 1040. But for estate tax, gift tax, and generation skipping tax, it's no longer the individual. So all of it is outside of the tax regime. That's the result we always want to see. But most planners, when they put that structure in place, the beneficiaries are who? The children and grandchildren. So you're gifting to this trust for your kids, or you're gifting to this trust for your grandchildren and beneficiaries. Well, that's wonderful if you want to do that. But a lot of my clients have very young children, or children they don't know if they're going to be handling these things well yet. And so they want to make the gifts, but they don't want to gift it to these other beneficiaries. Well, the reason I'm an asset protection and tax attorney is because the two have to be coupled together to get the results you really want. And there's one treasury reg 
which says that if your creditors could not get the assets in this trust, you can make a gift where you yourself, the client, is the primary beneficiary of the trust. Now, that's just exceptionally powerful planning. So we get to use our exemption amount now for ourselves and then for our children and grandchildren and so forth. And in fact, in Wyoming, the structures that I put in place last for 999 years. I'm sorry, I couldn't quite make it to 1,000, Eric. But these are true dynasty trusts that give you all of the tax benefits and all of the asset protection benefits. Siddharth, this is very powerful planning, um, and you're at the top of your game doing this work. I think the message is that taxes are on sale and that people shouldn't wait and call you on November 4th, the day after the election. I don't know that any professional will be answering their phone calls on that day, that people should take action now. The earlier, the better, yes. We are unbelievably busy because we have a pretty good idea of what's going to happen. The law already says, as you mentioned, it's getting cut in half in 2026. But the way the polls are going, we might see it much worse, much faster. And that, frankly, should terrify us all. Yeah. If that's if this is you, if this podcast speaks to you, the listener, uh, Siddharth, can you tell the listeners how to get a hold of you? Yeah, they could absolutely go to our website, which is www.socalclg.com. So that's socalclg.com. Or they could just give us a call, 858-384-5757. Again, 858-384-5757. And again, everyone here just does the exact same thing. Only asset protection and estate planning. We don't touch any other part of the law. Siddharth, it's been very, very helpful for you to come and share this valuable information. Thank you very, very much for doing that. Eric Johnson, thank you very, very much again for providing us this platform to get this valuable information out to our listeners. Yeah, absolutely, guys. This was fantastic. Siddharth, this this is one of those podcasts where I'm going to have to go and listen to it a few times <laughs> because it was like drinking <laughs> from a fire hose. There was so much good information. Thank you so much for being on the show. Uh, it really was a pleasure hearing you and meeting you. And again, I'm encouraging every one of our listeners to just rewind, listen to it again. There's There's so many nuggets of great information that both he and Derek gave you during this podcast. Uh, guys, thank you so much for being here again. Thanks again. Have a great day, guys. Absolutely. My pleasure, gentlemen. Take care. All right. And to you, the listening audience, I want to thank you for listening and tuning in to the Live Life Liberated podcast with the team from Centura Wealth Advisory. If you have not subscribed to the podcast yet, please click the subscribe now button below. This way, when they come out with a new podcast, it'll show up directly on your listening device. It makes it much easier to share these podcasts with your friends and family. Again, thanks for listening today. For everyone at Centura Wealth Advisory, this is Eric Johnson reminding you to live your best day every day. And we'll see you next time. Thank you for listening to the Live Life Liberated podcast. Click the subscribe button below to be notified when new episodes become available. The information covered and posted represents the views and opinions of the guest and does not necessarily represent the views or opinions of Centura Wealth Advisory. The content has been made available for informational and educational purposes only. The content is not intended to be a substitute for professional investing advice. 
Always seek the advice of your financial advisor or other qualified financial service provider with any questions you may have regarding your investment planning. Centura Wealth Advisory, Centura, is an SEC-registered investment advisor with its principal place of business in San Diego, California. Centura and its representatives are in compliance with the current registration and notice filing requirements imposed on SEC-registered investment advisors, in which Centura maintains clients. Centura may only transact business in those states in which it is notice filed or qualifies for an exemption or exclusion from notice filing requirements. Past performance is no guarantee of future results. Tax relief varies based on client circumstances and all clients do not achieve the same results.